the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. Hello, my friends. Please pray with me before I begin the message today. Father, have your way with these words today. Have your way with what we hear. Have your way with what we understand. Have your way with what we will do in response. Have your way with us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. For the past few Sundays, we've been traveling with Jesus through the memory of the Apostle Matthew in the gospel that he wrote. Jesus is making his way from the far northern region of Israel to the city of Jerusalem where he has told his disciples he will be persecuted, killed, and after three days raised to life again. We heard the Apostle Peter identify Jesus as the Messiah in Caesarea Philippi. Peter, James, and John heard God speak from a cloud declaring that Jesus was his son on Mount Tabor. At the base of Mount Tabor, we experienced the challenge the disciples had with insufficient faith to heal a young boy. And we listened in Capernaum as Jesus told his disciples that greatness in his kingdom is getting into his kingdom. And now, today in Matthew 19, we find Jesus on the east side of the Jordan River, not far from the ancient city of Jericho, where he's asked a question by a young man. There are four things revealed about this young man that comes up to Jesus. First, he was seeking certainty. He came to Jesus to make sure he would get eternal life. Second, he was young. Third, He was wealthy, and fourth, he was not happy. He was not fulfilled. He was uncertain about his future, not just because he went away sad, but even in his searching, it seems obvious that all the wealth he had did not ultimately satisfy him. I think we would all agree that wealth is not the answer to the need of our life, but I also think Many of us would be willing for an opportunity to discover that firsthand. You know, a significant portion of my ministry experience has been in very wealthy communities and churches. I'll give you an example, four of them. During my seminary years, I was at Winnetka in Illinois. Three years I spent there, and the average home in Winnetka today is over a million dollars. My first church out of seminary was in Los Altos, California. I spent four years there. The average home in Los Altos Altos today is $3.2 million. I spent nine years in Edina, Minnesota. That was the first church where I was the lead pastor. The average home today in Edina is $610,000. And I spent 19 years before my first retirement in Easton, Connecticut, where the average home is 697,000. I have observed a lot of wealthy people over my years in ministry, and I've observed that wealth can be a great distraction. When a person's resources are such that they can do anything they want, buy anything they want, be anywhere they want to be, 
they often do by and be to the distraction and the diminishment of relationships with family, with God, with church, and with friends. They often find after all the great experiences they have bought that they go home to a very empty home. I've come to know many a lonely, wealthy person. I've also observed that wealth can be a means of entitlement and often division. Some wealthy people are opinionated and pushy about their opinions. Using their wealth to get their way and removing or threatening to remove their wealth if not catered to. I've seen this acted out in several of the churches I've served. This creates a very unhealthy culture that is not Christ-centered, and it has, in fact, divided several churches that I've been aware of. And I've observed that wealth can be a great burden. What an interesting thought that is. People who have wealth can become obsessed with protecting it, counting it, and paranoid about losing it. I've watched a few people spend inordinate amounts of time, energy, and resources to hoard more and get more wealth. And I have buried many wealthy people over the years about whom the question was asked, how much did they leave? The answer is always the same. They left it all. For this rich young man, his wealth was such a burden that he walked away sad from Jesus' response, a response that was meant to help him lighten his burden and begin to really live. I've likened the burden of wealth to some of the experiences I had many years ago when I was leading two-week backpacking trips into the wilderness regions of the Sierra Nevada and Yosemite National Park. Before beginning our trek, I followed three steps of final preparation. Number one, I gave each one of the backpackers a list of what they should bring and what they should not bring. Step two, upon arrival at the trailhead, everyone would unload their backpack and be helped to remove excess items. This often meant 25 to 50 percent of the weight that they had loaded on board in the beginning. And number three, I would help them repack their packs so they would be balanced, and I had to um, unburden them of things they wanted so they would carry a lighter load, be more comfortable, and enjoy the journey we were about to begin. Over the course of several trips over many years, not one of the backpackers ever said they wished they could have taken what was left behind. The rich young man would not unpack his wealth for Jesus or for himself. So he went away sad. He'd only recognized the burden of his wealth emotionally. He still needed to recognize his burden of wealth functionally. He was very much like the man Jesus talked about in a parable who only could think of building bigger barns when he had a bumper crop. The man died and ended up leaving it all to others and without the joy of sharing it while he was still alive. But I've also observed those who have unpacked their wealth and become amazingly generous. In the Old Testament of the Bible, we have Boaz. You can find him in the book of Ruth. 
Boaz had extensive fields of grain, which he harvested year after year. But he also left room in those fields for the poor people of Israel to harvest for themselves and for their families. When his distant relative Naomi returned home after several years away in the east, Boaz made sure that she was provided for, along with Naomi's daughter-in-law, Ruth. Boaz unpacked his wealth, and God blessed him with a wife because of his generosity. In the New Testament of the Bible, we have Zacchaeus. You'll find him in Luke chapter 19. Like most tax collectors, Zacchaeus was wealthy and very unpopular. But he opened his home to Jesus and Jesus' disciples for a grand meal. And at that meal, Zacchaeus unpacked his wealth. He vowed to give half of his wealth to the poor. He also promised to pay back four times any amount that he might have cheated someone in gathering taxes. Jesus announced that salvation had come to that home. Not that Zacchaeus had earned it, but that he was transformed into the likeness of Jesus and his generosity verified that Jesus was in his life. A third example. Out of the Covenant Church of Easton, prior to my arrival in 1992, there was Hattie. Hattie had generously blessed the Easton Church throughout her entire life but she shocked the church at her death with an incredibly significant bequest. That bequest made it possible for the church to purchase a second parsonage. And that parsonage made it possible for the church to call a youth pastor and his new bride to come and serve. That youth pastor was my colleague for six years. He left then for six years to serve a church in Phoenix and then returned for another six years until my retirement in 2012. That youth pastor is now the very gifted and effective lead pastor of the Covenant Church of Easton, Pastor Kerry Slater. I love him. I'm so proud of him, and I'm so delighted for what has happened in that church under his leadership. But Hattie's generosity, given at her home going to God, had a profound impact on a generation of youth and continues to impact the church with a wonderful lead pastor. She left it all. And in doing so by decision, her generosity multiplied the work of God at the Covenant Church of Easton. The fourth example comes from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, a woman I never met, her name Osceola McCarty. I discovered her in an article in the New York Times on November 12th, 1996, back in the days when I was still reading newspapers. She unpacked and blessed others with generosity. Osceola was born in 1908, was raised in a house filled with women, her grandmother, her mother, and her aunt. There was sickness in the home, so when Osceola turned eight, she dropped out of school to care for his aunt and his mother and his, her mother and her grandmother and begin her work as a laundress. People from all over her neighborhood took their clothes to her for cleaning. Interestingly, she had a dog named Dog, a pig named Hog, and a cow named Hazel. Osceola's grandmother died in 1944. Her mother died in 1964. 
and her aunt died in 1967, leaving her alone. But she continued working tirelessly, taking in people's dirty clothes and cleaning them. She lived simply, saving much of her money. Then in 1995, things began to change. She asked her bank to give her savings account to create a scholarship fund for needy students at the University of Southern Mississippi in Hattiesburg. Word got out about this washerwoman. People began creating a fuss over her so that she found herself flying all over the country, accepting humanitarian awards, meeting famous people, and, as she said, wearing high heel shoes. Roberta Flack and Patti LaBelle sang her songs. President Bill Clinton had a picture taken with her. Harvard gave her an honorary degree. Whoopi Goldberg knelt at her feet and called her holy. People everywhere, famous and ordinary, sought her out. Osceola unpacked her savings. It wasn't a huge amount. It was only $150,000. But from a washerwoman, it was her entire savings in order to bless needy students with a scholarship. And she became an honorary celebrity, not by her choice, but by the people that she blessed. While there was a push to write her biography, the Longstreet Press of Atlanta instead compiled a collection of Osceola's sayings in a book entitled Simple Wisdom for Rich Living. It's an 80-page book with her opinions on faith, work, clean living, saving money, and finding peace of mind. On the topic of self-esteem, she writes, It seems pretty basic to me. If you want to feel proud of yourself, you've got to do things you can be proud of. Wow. It's amazing what generosity can do, especially when it's freely given. And in her case, how it has inspired so many others. So, what are we to do to become generous persons? Does it begin by having the goal of generosity? I don't think so. Generosity does not happen because we work toward it. God hinted at this in his call to Abraham in the Old Testament. Remember what God said. I will bless you so you will be a blessing. In fact, through you all nations will be blessed. And God has blessed the whole world with Jesus his redeeming son, who was an offspring of Abraham. Generosity is not a result of any effort of our own. Generosity is the intended outcome of a fully surrendered and devoted Christian life. When a person becomes like Jesus Christ, generosity happens. Generosity is produced by Jesus in us. Generosity is a value and a lifestyle Jesus makes happen in our lives. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes to his disciple and church-planting partner, Timothy. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good, 
They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up for their their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. Generosity is the result of putting our hope in God, whose Son generously came to befriend and redeem us sinners, so that we would become the people who generously bless others. May his generosity be found in us. Please pray. Heavenly Father, pour your Holy Spirit upon us so that we will become grace-filled and generous people like your Son, Jesus. This will change everything and bring us into line with your will for our lives. In his name I pray. Amen.